Let's go ahead and open up this morning with a word of prayer, and we'll be over in the book of Second Kings in just a moment, but let's go ahead and pray first. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you again for this time. I thank you again for an opportunity, Lord, to be in your house, and Lord, an opportunity to be among your people, an opportunity, Lord, for fellowship and encouragement. And Lord, I just pray that this morning that we would receive a blessing from you, that we would be encouraged by your word, we'd be encouraged by the message that we see here. That, Lord, we would take a t- moment in time to to stand back and remember what you've done for us. Lord, again, to keep in mind those things that you have wrought in our life, those victories that we've had. And, Lord, I pray that we would have those spiritual mementos, if you will, those spiritual artifacts in our life, Lord, that continually point to how great a Savior, how great a God, how great a comforter you are in our life. And, Lord, again, I just thank you for all that you've done for us. And Lord, I pray that this morning our hearts would be challenged by you and challenged by your spirit, that we would desire to grow in you, that we would desire, Lord, to please you and honor you and be acceptable in every way, shape, and form in our in our Christian life. Again, Lord, I pray, pray you'd be with me. And Lord, just give me strength this morning. Be with my words and speak through me that this time would be honoring and pleasing unto you with all that we do. And this I ask in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. In the book of Second Kings, I want us to turn to Second Kings chapter, chapter, uh, chapter eleven. Second Kings chapter eleven. And uh, if you're familiar a little bit with uh, Scripture, you know that Second Kings chapter eleven uh, is a bit of a dark time in the nation of Israel's uh, uh, existence. We know that the kingdom has been split into two separate parts. We've gotten to the northern kingdoms of ten tribes, the two southern kingdoms of Judah and Benjamin. And we know that very clearly that the northern kingdoms, uh, right from the gate with Jeroboam, began to worship idols, began to worship uh, in a religion of convenience. And we find that that, that, that kingdom, that part of the nation of Israel, uh, went through a very tumultuous time when it came to its leaders. Uh, there was assassination after assassination after assassination. Uh, there was coups. There was all sorts of stuff that took place. And all those things it, it led it to be that there was very few people that had a, a long-term, if you will, heritage with that kingdom. Now, with the kingdom of Judah, it continued to be the house of David. But when we find here... Yeah, the, 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 the kingdom of, uh, uh, Israel, those northern tribes, if you will, those ones, they, they went through various different ones. There was a few that had a handful of, if you will, successors from their own house. But what we find is, is that they just generally had this idea and this mentality of, well, you know, here comes a servant, here comes a captain, here comes somebody that's in charge, things that they can do better. And the next thing you know is they overthrow that king. Now that didn't fly very much over there, obviously in the kingdom of uh, uh, of Judah, where very clearly those things were uh, uh, were were definitely frowned upon. But what we find is in this chapter, chapter eleven, we find a queen that has come in and she begins to rule in the kingdom of Judah, and she rules for a few years here. This is this is this wasn't a, just a short stint. This wasn't a few days, this wasn't a few months, this was several years that she comes in and she begins to reign. 
And we find here in verse 1, it says, And when Athaliah, the mother of Ahaziah, saw that her son was dead, she arose and destroyed all the royal, uh, all the seed royal. Here she is in the kingdom of Judah trying to end the line of David. Now, Athaliah wasn't from the line of David. She came directly from the line of Ahab. The two kingdoms had fraternized in such a way that now Athaliah was bringing in all of those things that Ahab had brought in. And we find here what she does. She decides she's going to go ahead and and destroy all of her relatives. Such a lovely lady. In verse 2 it says, But Jehoash, the daughter of King Joram, sister of Ahaziah, took Joash, the son of Ahaziah, and stole him from among the king's sons, which were slain. She's killing her grandkids. Well, isn't she a lovely person? And here we go through, and what does it say? And it says, They hid him and him and his nurse in the bedchamber from Athaliah, so that he was not slain. And he was with her hid in the house of the Lord six years, and Athaliah did reign over the land. Now, there's a lot to be said about his upbringing and the fact that he, for those years, was brought up in the house of the Lord. He got to see everything. He got to see the temple uh, uh, workings. He got to see the high priests doing their things, all the sacrifices. He got, I mean, he got an up-close-and-personal education of what it really meant behind the scenes to worship God. That was an amazing thing that he had. But in verse 4, it says, In the seventh year, Jehoiada uh, sent and fetched the rulers of uh, over hundreds with captains and the guard and brought them uh, to him in the house of the Lord and made a covenant with them and took an oath of them in the house of the Lord and showed him the king's son. Now, the real ruler is being revealed. This boy at seven years old is going to be made king over Judah. Youngest king. Would you trust a seven-year-old right now to rule this country? I'm going to refrain from any type of interjections at this point. <clears throat> but you understand that that would... So some people might say, well, that might be better than what we have. Well, it might be. I don't know. But, you know, when we begin to think about it, he obviously had a lot of help, though. He had, uh, uh, very clearly here, he had Jehoiada helping him and, and encouraging him all the days of his life. And, and he followed the Lord all the days of, you know, the life of Jehoiada. But obviously he digressed later on and, and had some very, uh, nefarious, uh, actions that were, were not sanctioned in any way, shape, or form by scripture, but were very clearly things that were sinful. But what we find with this, and, and I want to get to this part here as we move down a little bit further, as uh, in verse 5 he says, And he commanded them, saying, This is the thing that ye shall do. A third part of you shall enter in on the Sabbath, shall even be keepers of the watch of the king's house. And a third part shall be at the gate of Sir, and a third part at the gate behind the guard, so that ye keep watch of the house, that it be not broken down. And two parts of all of you that go forth on the Sabbath, even they shall keep the watch of the king's house, or excuse me, of the house of the Lord, about the king. And ye shall compass the king round about, every man with his weapons in his hand, so that he cometh within ranges, let him be slain, and be ye with the king as he goeth out and as he cometh in. 
As the captain and the captains over the hundreds did according to all the things that Jehoiada the priest commanded, and they took every man his men that were come in on the Sabbath with them that should go out on the Sabbath and came to Jehoiada the priest. Now I want you to understand this. These guys are his bodyguards. This seven-year-old's got a few hundred of them. These guys are, are, are meaning business too. You get too close for their comfort, their orders, kill them. Whoever gets close, he's dead. They, they, these guys are mean, they mean business. They, they, they are here for the purpose of restoring the kingdom back to what it was to dispose of this wicked woman that was ruling here. She's brought in all sorts of abominations. She's brought in all sorts of, uh, if you will, uh, uh, blood at her hands. She's she she is very deceitful to do these things, so that she will still have power. Now, in the end, obviously she dies, and you can read further on in the passage. But I want to get to verse ten here, and I want us to see some things here. And in verse ten, it says, "And the captains over hundreds did the priests give kings uh, King David spears and shields that were in the temple of the Lord." Now, I want us to think about this just for a minute. The temple of the Lord, we know, is reserved for the holy things. The things of the Ark of Testimony, Ark of the Covenant. The altars of incense and the one that's out there, altar of sacrifice. The lavers, the basins, the table of showbread, the candlesticks. All of those things are, 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 are there for the purpose of pleasing God and worshiping Him, and if you will, uh, uh, the the sacrifices and offerings that are to be done on a day-to-day basis. The temple wasn't just active on, if you will, Saturday on the Sabbath. What was it active? It was active all days of the week. There was all sorts of stuff always going on. But what we find very clearly that is in part of this temple... In this temple, they had weapons. They had weapons. But I want you to notice who they were. Here, as a descendant of David, David's weaponry, David's armor, is now guarding one of his great, 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 if you will, grandchildren. One that was at, 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 at risk at this point in time. At risk. Now, where, where did David get these weapons? These weren't ones that he had personally crafted for himself. These weren't ones that were, uh, uh, if you will, brought about uh, because they were made specifically for him. Some of his might have been in there as well. But these were all the things that were the spoils of war. The giants he had slain the kings that he had taken down, the captains that he had defeated in battle, all by the hand of God. And they were kept in that temple for the purpose of a memento to remind the people that God gives victories. That God gives victories. Time and time and time again. 
you know, we, 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 we think about this here and, and, and we notice that these, they're kept there within this temple as a demonstration of how mighty God is. And as we look at this, here they are, they're, they're, they're taking these weapons up again. And, and these, these, some of these weapons are very old. They're very old. They, they, these aren't from recent victories. These are from victories from David who lived several, several years prior to this. Several kings have been in, in power since then. Solomon. Rehoboam, the one referred to here, Ahaziah, which was not a great king. All these other kings, and here they are, these older weapons, and they find use for them again to, you know, if you will, reminding themselves of the victories that God had wrought. Could you imagine those captains starting to divvy up some of those weapons? Pulling those out and going, look at that. That's an Amorite sword. Wow. Pulling out of its sheath. Oh, this one's still got a little bit of something on there. <laughs> Didn't quite get it clean. Still good. It's still sharp. Let's use it. Can you imagine that? Grabbing those spears, grabbing those swords, grabbing those shields. Those shields of those defeated armies, those defeated captains. Those defeated kings that maybe still had some of their, uh, uh, if you will, emblems upon them. And here they are picking these up and they are standing there around a, a king who is seven years old. And they're standing around with all the victories that God had wrought. I want you to think about that for a minute. For me, it just, I, I just, my mind, as you know, just goes, just goes crazy with that. I'm just sitting there thinking about it and I'm thinking about how cool would that be? They're all standing there, defeated Philistine weaponry, all of these things that were around, you know, that David had, uh, had won those victories. And here they are being used to remind us again of the victories that come by God's hand. You know, we, we need some, some Christian mementos in our life. And I'm not talking about little, little physical things. I'm talking about real spiritual things in our life that we can go back to and we can say, you know, God, God gave me a victory there. If God can give me a victory here, He can give me a victory right now. He can give me a victory tomorrow. And here they are, they're all standing around with those, if God gave, gave King David a victory, and here we are with the preservation of his son, the last of the line, and with the promise of God behind him, we're all going to stand because we know that those victories that have been won with all these weaponries that was around him, the victories that have been brought that gave us these weapons, victory will be won that day. And Athaliah was killed. She starts crying, treason, treason. And she's slain. She was the treasonous one. She was the one that was against God. And there they are, 
with those weapons that brought victory, bringing victory again. Bringing victory again. You know, these artifacts of war, they're, they're being used and becoming useful again. Turn over to the book of First Samuel. Go to First Samuel, a few books over. The book of First Samuel. <clears throat> and now I want you to take a look at chapter 21. First Samuel chapter 21. First Samuel, Samuel chapter 21. David is coming to, um, Ahimelech the priest. Uh, and, and we see that at this point in time, he's, he's going to go on the run again. And it says in verse seven now of a certain man of the servants of Saul, there was, uh, there that day detained before the Lord. And his name was Doeg the Edomite, the uh, chiefest of the herdmen that belonged to Saul. And David said unto Ahimelech, And is there not here under thine hand spear or sword? For I have neither brought my sword nor my weapons with me, because the king's business required haste. He left home without him. He had to move quickly. He doesn't have anything. Look at what the priest drags out. Verse 9, And the priest said, uh, The sword of Goliath... The Philistine, whom thou slewest in the valley of Elah, behold, it is here wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. And if thou wilt take that, uh, take that, take it. For there is no other save that here. And David said, there is none like that. Give it to me. <laughs> Could you imagine that? Now, Now, first and foremost, we know that Goliath was rather a large individual. And here he is packing around his sword. I, I, I just, you know, in my mind's eye, I, I, again, I sit there and think about it, and it's probably at some point in time dragging a little bit on the ground. Maybe he's got to mount it on his back instead of on his belt. But whatever it is, could you imagine him grabbing a hold of that thing and somebody coming at him, and he takes that thing and he unsheaths that, and he's holding it right there? That'd give you somebody some pause. That he can wield something that big and that large that he used to take the head off of the enemy. And there he is with it again. And where does he find it? In the tabernacle with the priests behind the ephod. Could you imagine that? Every single time they go through and they, they, they're, they're, they're taking care of the, the house of God, they're taking care of the tabernacle, and they come across it, the new priests are coming along and going, well, what's that? That is the sword of Goliath. And they had heard about who Goliath was. That, that sword was used to bring a victory. And it's a reminder. And it began with that one sword, and it began to become this collection. And can you imagine at the point in time where they are now, here they are with all of these swords and all of these shields and spears and weaponry that were there, and they're defending that family again. Defending that promise of God that was there. It was given in, 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 in given by uh, or it was given to God in victory. David didn't keep it for himself. 
You notice that he didn't mount them in his house. He mounted them in a very special place. They were mounted and in, in, in put in the tabernacle and eventually put inside the temple. They weren't being paraded around like trophies that some sort of athlete wins to go around in the house and show those things off. They were put in the house of God. Why? Because it was God that wrought those victories. It wasn't by the hand of David. It wasn't by by his physical strength. It wasn't by his tactical knowledge and advantage over the enemy. It was because of what God had done. That they were put in the rightful place and they were being given to God these trophies, if you will, that said, these are not mine, God, these are yours. Just like when we are going to be there and God says, hey, I'm going to give you a crown. And we take the crowns as we see over there, those elders. What do they do with the crowns? They take those crowns and they cast them at Jesus' feet. Why? Because they're like, this is your crown, this is not mine. Here we are looking at a very similar thing, but again, what it is is it's being used in its in a very way, a very specific way to to protect this descendant, but to remind everybody that it's God that gives the victories, that it's God that spoils the principalities and powers, it's God that won the victory over sin and death. It's God that gives us eternal life. In the end, it's God that defeats the devil, not us. We see very clearly that God is using these things again, these trophies of battle, for the purpose of glory, not for the purpose of pride. Sometimes we get that way. Sometimes we get that way. Oh, hey, you know what? I was, I was able to get victory over that sin. Oh, really? How? Well, I did this and I did that and I did this. Okay. Where was God in it? Every victory that I've ever had in my entire life, I owe it all to Him. You know, just just by standing here in, in this day right now, and 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 just realizing the victory that was that was won uh, um, by by the hand of God, just just in health, who, who am I kidding? Now, here I am, you know, sitting there saying, you know, well, praise God, you know, I didn't have any cancer or anything like that. Well, it probably wasn't due to the fact of me eating healthy. I mean, come on. Yeah, I've had my fair share of donuts and jelly beans and gummy bears and Cheetos and burgers and lack of vegetables and things of that nature. Doctors, all five of them are standing there going, well, this should, this should have been cancer. It should have been cancer. 
And one guy says, I don't know how that is. And I just look at him and I say, I do. And he, he agreed with me. He knew it was God. He knew it was God. Who, who, who's he going to say? What's he going to say? When every single last one of them says, every single time we pull that out, that's what it is. Except you. That's God. You know what? I'm not going to sit there and boast about it and go, oh, hey, let me tell you how about how to, how to do the Ken Stewart diet so you can be cancer free. Now, unless that involves eating copious amounts of jelly beans, I don't think. <laughs> and avoiding green beans. But I'll, I'll, I'll tell you this, you know, that victory's God's. That's victory's God's. And when I stand back and I think about what God has done in my life and all of the things that are there, I can only go back and say, that was wrought by the hand of God. It is not because of me. It is not because of my flesh. It is not because of my intellect. It is not anything but for pointing towards the Christ that saved me, my victor, my savior, my God. That's all it is for. And it's interesting to note that in order to get those, if you will, that refreshing, that remembrance that had to occur, it went back to the tabernacle and the temple, a place of worship and sacrifice, a place of humility, a place where sin is dealt with. I just can only imagine in, in, in our mind's eye as we sit back and we think of all the things that God has done in our lives that we've got to go back to that. We've got to go back to where the worship is found. We've got to go back to where the sin was defeated and paid for. We've got to go back to where the glory, honor, and the praises and the hope can be found. I want you to turn over to Psalm 77. We saw this a little bit not too long ago, but I it's necessary to point out that Psalm 77 has has a lot that's packed in it. And what it has packed in there are some things that are if you will ancient weapons. It's been said that ancient weapons are good for present use. These ancient weapons that these captains and these uh, soldiers had that were old, they were still good for the present use. I want you to see some of these here. I want us to take a look here as we go down through this. In verse 3, it says, I remembered God and was troubled. I complained and my spirit was overwhelmed. I want you to go down to verse 6. He says, I call to remembrance my song in the night. I commune with mine own heart, and my spirit made diligent search. Take a look at verse 10. He said, And I said, this is my infirmity, but I will remember the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the works of the Lord. Surely I will remember thy wonders of old. Here he is, he's going through and he's talking about remembering. 
You know, one of the very first weapons that we can use in our day-to-day life is this. We need to remember God. Who he is. What he's done. I mean, if God can create all of this, and this is still somewhat flawed because of the, the sin the thing that's around us, but he can create a beautiful day like today. He can create one of the most beautiful cities, uh, the city of Ridgefield with all the green and the trees and the river and everything that's around and the birds, the wildlife, the little rabbits that are running through our yard, the deer that come up and ring our doorbells. You know, all of these things that we've got all over the place and how beautiful it all is. How about we remember those? How about we remember the works of old where he, he, he very clearly, as Romans 5, 8 said, but he commended his love toward us and that while we're yet sinners, he died for us. When we remember the fact that, that, that in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. When we remember the things that we go back and when we read the the Gospels and we read the account of the crucifixion and we realize the works of old that were done. The work of Him being even just made in the flesh to dwell among men, to be here. The first weapon that that we, we, we see here very clearly is a Remembering who God is. I want you to take a look at the second one, another, another ancient weapon. Because this, this, this chapter of Psalms was written several thousand years ago. It's ancient, right? I want you to take a look at this in verse one. It says, I cried unto the Lord with my voice, even unto God with my voice, and he gave ear unto me. In the day of my trouble, I sought the Lord, and I ran sore in the night and ceased not. My soul refused to be comforted. What do we find here? We find one of the most important elements, one of the most important ancient weapons that could ever exist. Prayer. Prayer. You go over there to Genesis chapter 4, and it starts talking about when men used to call, began to call out to God. Prayer. Prayer is an ancient weapon. But it is good for present use, isn't it? We don't need to modernize prayer. It doesn't need to be upgraded. We just need to go to God with a contrite, humble heart and plead and petition our God for who He is. That's an ancient weapon. You realize David fought with that weapon? You realize Noah fought that weapon with that weapon? And so did Abraham. You realize that there's many other uh, saints throughout Scripture and those that are not even documented? Those that have, have given their lives? Those that have, if you will, set foundations, even here in this country, of prayer? You ever read some of those prayers that have been documented? You ever read some of the prayers of those Supreme Court justices, the early ones? 
They're convicting. They preach like sermons. Can you imagine that today? Oh, my word. People are saying, well, there's no confidence in the Supreme Court nowadays. Well, how about if they all of a sudden all started praying and started publishing their prayers? <gasps> Clutch our pearls in horror, right? It's an ancient weapon. It's still fit to be used today. Two weapons we already see in this chapter. Just remembering God. The first part of that. There's the first weapon. The second weapon, uh, prayer. And if you will, repeated prayer. Repeated prayer. I want you to see the third weapon. Take a look at verse 5. He says, I have considered the days of old, the years of ancient times. You know what one of the best things is, that one of the best weapons that you can have is to review the past. To review the past. Let, 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 let me ask you, when's the last time you sat down and you said, God, I want to start going through, and Lord, I need your help. I need your help remembering because I'm already going senile as it is. I need help remembering, Lord, what you've done for me. How about that prayer? Could you imagine the download and flood? Could you imagine that at some point in time, as you begin to sit back and reflect and think and tears well up over what God has done for us and what God is doing for you and what he's done for you already and the salvation that we have in him, that he would save a sinner like me, that we save somebody that has done things that, that, that I don't ever want to talk about. And God said, I'll save him. I'll forgive him. I'll love him. I'll care for him. Can you imagine that? Just reviewing the past. Here the psalmist is going through some difficult times and the things that he does in the middle of crying out to God and remembering God and, and going through all these things. What does he do? He says, there, he says, I'm going to consider the days of old, the years of ancient times. When's the last time we sat down and meditated on what Noah had to go through? When's the last time we sat down and we meditated on why Enoch was taken. When's the last time we considered those things that God preserved for us in this book so that we could read them? The ancient times. I'll tell you this. Remember in the past of what God has done in those victories, those mementos, it's one of the best weapons you can ever have. Because when you're facing a present day danger and a present day giant in your life, and you remember back when God defeated the giant of sin and death in your life at the cross and through the power of his resurrection, you can boldly go to God and say, God, I need, I need another victory here. I need you, Lord. The fourth weapon I want to point out here in this passage is this. 
the recollection of past victories. In verse 6, he says, I call to remembrance my song in the night. I commune with mine own heart, and my spirit made diligent search. I call to remembrance my song in the night. What he already had a song. Isn't it kind of interesting? We go back and do that. Look, I couldn't write a song if my life depended on it. I couldn't. Do you go back and what do you find? You find when they cross the, the, the Red Sea, and look, it wasn't some little reed sea, and it wasn't some marsh somewhere. No, they crossed the Red Sea, right? Let's not discount the victories of God, all right? Let's just accept it for what it is. God defeated them. God made a, made a mighty victory. God made an open show of a, a, of a Pharaoh who rejected God, who was a murderer. Let's, let's remember what they did. They got on the other side, and what did they do? They said, well, well hey, maybe we need to run for our lives. No. Nope. What did they do? They sang. There was a song that was formed. I mean, what, what, what happens over there when, when, when victory is given to, 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 to Barak uh, and, and it was given at the hand of Jael when she nailed that king's head to the floor? What did Deborah do? She sang. She sang. You know, I, th- th- this hymn book is filled with great hymns. This hymn book, you can open up and you can find some in here that you just begin to look at. And you think about, when's the last time we remembered that song? Jesus is the sweetest name I know. Or, 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 or maybe, there's a, maybe there's another one. Till the storm passes by. Maybe, maybe there's another one where, where again, it, 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 you go through and you remember these. Some of these I don't remember because I don't remember singing them. But, uh, you know, how about number 63? What a day that will be. You're going through a difficult time. You're going through trouble. You're facing that giant. Remember God. Remember prayer. Go back to the, the past and consider what God's done. And remember those past victories and sing a song. Remember the song that God put in your heart. Remember the joy that is there. Remember the peace that has been talked about in Sunday school. The things that we have when we can say, what a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see. Do we remember that song of victory? Do we remember the songs of and can it be? Do we remember washed in the blood? Do we remember those songs? And I will tell you this, that is still a valid weapon to use today. All these old weapons kept around that I'm sure at some point in time, the janitor's coming around the temple and he sees all of these things sacked up there. And he's like, what, what are all these doing here? What, why do we need these spears, guys? What, what are all these swords and shields and things like that? That, that? that isn't even Israeli. Why is that here? 
It's not Hebrew. And in comes a high priest or one of the older priests and says, don't you dare touch those. Those are the victories of my God. When's the last time we stopped to think of those things? Look, I don't know what's going on in your life right now. I, I, I didn't take a poll today. I didn't jot down everybody's notes from, 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 you know, what troubles you may be facing. But I will tell you this, if you're facing any of the troubles that, that David faced, if you're facing any of the troubles that, 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 that young king faced, if you're facing any of the troubles that the psalmist is facing here, pick up the ancient weapons. Pick up those things and begin to use them again in this present time. There are, these things have been around for, 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 for millennia. And what can we use them for? To please God. You know, over there he told, specifically in John chapter 14, he told the disciples that he was going to send the Comforter. And one of the key things that the Comforter does that he specifically says over in verse 26 is this, is that the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, is going to come and he's going to bring to remembrance. He's going to bring to remembrance. I will tell you this. The more you let the Spirit work in your life, the more you will remember what God has done for you. The more you will remember what God has done for you. How many times has He saved your life? How many times has He spared you? How many times has He just, you know, whispered, don't do that? And you submitted. Our mementos of victories that we have in this life, they've all been taken because of the spoiling of Jesus Christ. I want you to turn to a final passage over in the book of Colossians. You probably know where I'm going in Colossians chapter 2. And it's a great passage. Now, I, I talk about this frequently. I remember times when I read this passage and, and, you know, you'd be reading through and you wouldn't remember. I remember when, when the full gravity and the impact of these verses hit me like a ton of bricks. In Colossians chapter, uh, <clears throat> Colossians chapter two. <clears throat> Here he is in verse 10. He says, and you're complete in him. That's in Christ, which is the head of all principality and power. And who also you're circumcised with the circumcision made without hands and the putting off of the body of sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Talking about getting rid of the sin that we have in our lives. And what does it say? He says they're buried with him in baptism, wherein you're risen through, uh, risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who hath raised him from the dead. And he's not talking about water baptism there. He's talking about being baptized into him, placed into him. And what does he say here? And in verse 13, he says, And you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, 
having forgiven you all trespasses. That's why he's first, by the way. And it says, blotting out the handwriting of the ordinances that was con- that, that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. There's that victory. That upon that cross, and with that empty tomb, there is victory in Christ. If you're here today and maybe you're going through that trial, maybe it's time to go back to the cross. Remember what's nailed there. Maybe it's time to go back to the empty tomb and realize that He was raised by His power. He's not dead. Maybe it's time to remember that we can go back to that throne. Boldly approach the throne of God. Make supplications, petitions, and prayers with ancient weapons. I could just... You know, I, I, I know me being me at seven years old, if I saw, if I was surrounded by hundreds, probably angry men at this point in time, with all these cool old weapons, I probably would have been wide-eyed and smiling. You probably wouldn't have been able to wipe the smile off my face. I would have been so excited. When's the last time we got excited about the weapons that God gives us that He brings the victories in our life with? That should bring us joy and peace. That should bring us joy and peace. Let's stand with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank You again for this message, Lord, as simple as it is. Lord, as simple as it is to go back and see how you preserved the life of a young little boy. And Lord, how you used him. Regardless of whatever the outcome was, Lord, we still can take away from that. That there are past victories in our life that you've given. There are mementos that we have in our life. Those memories. And Lord, may those memories be found in your temple. May they be found dwelling with you in your tabernacle. Lord, may we use them as ancient weapons, Lord, to defeat the giants of the present. And Lord, again, I just thank you for all that you've done for us. And Lord, I pray that we've been encouraged and challenged this morning. That, Lord, you have led us to that point, Lord, in our Christian life where we need to be yielded to Your Holy Spirit so that we will remember those things that You've done for us, that You've taught us, that are in Your Word. I thank You again, Lord, for all that You've done for us. May we continue to sing praises unto You, glorifying Your name with our heart, Lord, is filled with that love, filled with that desire to please You and to honor You and praise you 
with every fiber of our being. And this I ask in your Son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen.